0: You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is part of our Blogs on Tape series for audio learners and busy professionals. It is entitled History of Chargebacks and is read by George Turner. The History and Evolution of Chargebacks The history of chargebacks really doesn't go back very far. Less than 50 years, in fact. But in that short span of time, what started as a consumer safety feature has rapidly evolved into a dangerous threat. While chargebacks still work as originally intended, consumers have learned ways to exploit the process, and e-commerce merchants are paying the price. What is a chargeback? Cardholders who feel that a credit card transaction is inaccurate or unfair have the option of filing a chargeback with the bank that issued the card. A chargeback basically gives the bank permission to forcibly remove money from a merchant's account and return it to the customer's account. In the U.S., the chargeback process is rooted in three main federal regulations. The Truth in Lending Act of 1968, the Fair Credit Billing Act of 1974, and the 1978 Electronic Fund Transfer Act. The History of Chargebacks in the U.S. As we mentioned earlier, the credit card chargeback was originally designed for consumer protection and to build consumer confidence. Back before bank credit cards had gained widespread acceptance, U.S. customers were suspicious of this new process and afraid they would be taken advantage of. The Federal Reserve Board allayed some of these fears with the Truth in Lending Act of 1968, which requires lenders to provide customers with clear, concise loan cost information. This includes annual percentage rate, or APR, the term of the loan, and total cost to the borrower. Even with those regulations in place, however, people still worried that their card could be lost or stolen, leaving them stuck paying for unauthorized transactions. There were also fears of unscrupulous merchants inflating prices or tacking on hidden fees after the fact. The Fair Credit Billing Act of 1974 attempted to address these issues by creating what we now know as a chargeback. As originally conceived, chargebacks were a safety net that meant the cardholder's money was secure no matter what. An argument with a merchant, for example, could easily come to a stalemate. I say you owe me the money and there's nothing you can do about it because the bank has already paid me. Using a chargeback, however, the cardholder could effectively go over the merchant's head and secure a refund from the bank itself. The bank, in turn... Could void a credit card transaction that had already cleared, withdrawing funds that were previously deposited into the merchant's bank account and slapping the merchant with a hefty fee. 1978's Electronic Fund Transfer Act ensured that debit card holders were awarded reversal rights as well. This combination of protections was designed to regulate the industry as well as alleviate consumer fear, and it worked. Bank credit card use exploded in the 1970s, and chargebacks served the system well, until recently. When Chargebacks Work To some extent, the chargeback system is still capable of protecting cardholders from unwarranted charges. The card networks, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, American Express, and others, have created an elaborate system that defines the valid circumstances for a chargeback, such as unsatisfactory products or services, billing errors, undelivered products or services, or unauthorized charges. Each of these reasons can be subdivided into a specific number of scenarios, and each of those is assigned a reason code. Now, while there are a great number of chargeback reason codes, the basic reality is that all transaction disputes are caused by one of three things. Merchant error criminal fraud, or friendly fraud. Merchant error could be anything from a simple typo to the failure of a processing terminal. Criminal fraud comes primarily through identity theft. In both cases, there is a clear problem that is not the consumer's fault, and therefore the cardholder's responsibility for repayment is limited. With the headlines regularly reporting large-scale data breaches, it would seem that most chargebacks come from criminal fraud. Statistics show, however, that merchants typically lose more revenue to friendly fraud than to merchant errors and criminal fraud combined. A closer look at friendly fraud. Friendly fraud, also called chargeback fraud, is when cardholders intentionally bypass the merchant and ask the bank directly for a refund. In some cases, this can be an honest mistake. The customer may erroneously believe that calling the bank is the same as getting reimbursed by the store. There's also an increasing number of cardholders who know their actions are dishonest, yet call the bank anyway. There are multiple reasons a customer might do this. For example, the cardholder experiences buyer's remorse, but is too embarrassed to return to the merchant. The cardholder wants to return an item past the merchant's posted return period. The cardholder doesn't like an otherwise acceptable product and claims it was faulty. The cardholder claims the product or service was never received when in fact it was. The cardholder doesn't want to pay for a transaction made by an authorized family member. Or the cardholder simply wants to get something for free, cyber shoplifting. And these are just some of the most common scenarios where the consumer may want to bypass the merchant for a refund. This type of behavior was always possible, but has only become a large-scale threat in the last few years. The main culprit? The proliferation of high-speed internet access leading to the rise of e-commerce. Shopping has changed. Chargebacks haven't. Chargebacks are a much-needed form of consumer protection, but that system was created for a society where credit cards were kept in wallets or purses. Most transactions required making a physical imprint of the charge plate. Low-tech, but effective. Today, account information can be stored in the cloud, in your phone, or in multiple online accounts. The internet has made it easier than ever to purchase items sight unseen. Card numbers get passed to retailers, merchandise gets shipped to customers, and e-commerce, not even a pipe dream in the 70s, now accounts for nearly 10% of total retail sales in the U.S. Online shopping is easy. Click, done, anytime, day or night. Purchases can be shipped next day, or in the case of software, downloaded instantly. Unfortunately, disputing a charge online is every bit as easy to the point where it's often seen as more convenient than calling or emailing the merchant. In most cases, cardholders only need to contact the bank and make a claim, giving whatever reason best suits their needs, whether the accusation has any merit or not. And to make matters worse, while it's easier than ever for customers to file a chargeback, merchants are still tied to an antiquated process for challenging those chargebacks. Ideally, banks would thoroughly investigate the validity of each cardholder's accusation. In the real world, however, banks seldom have the resources to perform due diligence on more than a handful of cases. And if a judgment call has to be made with little evidence, banks will almost always come down on the side of their customer. So where does this leave us? The inventors of chargebacks couldn't have foreseen the meteoric rise in friendly fraud. And because there was no foresight, there were no built-in checks and balances, leaving numerous ways for modern consumers to cheat the system. And the problem feeds on itself. If merchants don't challenge invalid chargebacks, customers believe there are no consequences. Statistically, they're much more likely to try again. All this activity increases the number of chargeback requests, which further taxes bank's resources, and that means more illegitimate chargeback requests get pushed through. It's a vicious circle. There are fraud prevention products on the market, but they're problematic because it's almost impossible to identify friendly fraud before it happens. Friendly fraud chargebacks start as legitimate purchases from recognized cardholders. That prevents any type of front-end filter from recognizing the transaction as fraud. New opportunities for fraud appear almost as quickly as new sales opportunities. But the tools and methods for fighting chargeback fraud are still stuck in the 1970s. Until industry-wide changes are implemented to close the loopholes, friendly fraud will continue to grow as a threat. Changing the History of Chargebacks Chargebacks started as consumer protection. They still serve that purpose, but customers have found ways around the system. This results in merchants paying chargeback fees, increasing their processing risks, and losing revenue with each chargeback filed. But consumers are actually being penalized too, usually without their knowledge. To compensate for inevitable chargeback fees, merchants must raise prices. Plus, any cardholders who are caught committing chargeback fraud could face bank fines and the possibility of losing their account. Hopefully, the history of chargebacks will be a lesson for the future. If you're tired of being plagued by chargebacks, Chargebacks 911 can help you create a comprehensive management strategy that will reduce risks before they become liabilities. To learn more, find us online at chargebacks911.com or call us at 877-634-9808.